Energize, the Lawn Friend Podcast, is brought to you by Hustler Hollywood, your one-stop shop for all things erotica, with 11 stores across the United States. Our sexy shelves are stocked with DVDs, books, lingerie, vibrators, butt plugs, lubricants, fetish gear, and bachelorette party supplies. At Hustler Hollywood, we know that sex is free. We only sell the accessories. If you're at our flagship store in the Sunset Strip, located across the street from the world-famous Rainbow Roxy and Whiskey, mention Energize and you'll get a delicious discount on something delightfully dangerous. LF and LF, Lawn Friend and Larry Flint, energetically connected for more than 30 years. Scotty, Energize. Energize. Good evening, world, spinning world, oceanic world, mountain world, earth world, nature world, spirit world, rock world. Lon Friend here energizes the Lon Friend podcast, 51st show. We're one week from our anniversary show, but tonight we're ramping up and amping up. Man, I got a lot of things to talk about tonight and a lot of things to cover. First of all, thank you. I'm... Obviously, I sound clear and cool because I'm back at the San Pedro studio. Hello, Mike Stark on the other side of the glass. It's good to be home. I'm visiting the Angel Angel City because today is my daughter's 24th birthday. Megan Rose, friend, I love you so much more than the universe. Happy birthday from your dad, your crazy dad. Golf clap, please. I had, I have women in the studio just for clapping. Because you can't have the clap unless you have a partner. Oh, oh, that doesn't sound right at all. <laughs> uh, among the females, um, the Blackbird Dirty Diana. Hi, Diana. Hello. Welcome back. Thanks. Welcome back to Energize. So, uh, <clears throat> okay, here's what's going on. Uh, later in this hour, uh, my friend Mike Plumides, the writer, screenplay writer, book writer, TV dude from uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, is going to be calling in because he had a very close relationship with the late Dave Brocky, who passed away today from the from the eccentric and extraordinarily bizarre but successful and so entertaining band Guar. So that's part of what. Uh, I had Diana do before we went on is, can you give me a couple of little factoids about Guar? And she said, well, do you know what the name came from? And I said, well, I'm going to tell my Guar story in a minute, but tell me, because first of all, a moment of uh, mourning for Dave, he was only 50. I mean, I must be a ticking time bomb because I outlived him by seven years. People are dropping like flies. Then we're going to talk about the plane, Malaysian Airlines, because I don't believe, I don't believe anything I read or hear in the news. Nothing. They just botched this entire case. They don't have Sheckley from the FAA who saw who, who who tried to solve the crime 
over 20 years from the Twilight Zone episode, The Arrival. There's no genius. There's no genius at work here. Obviously, something's going on that we don't understand. So we have to we have to create news organizations devoted to mystery and innuendo. That's an odd place to be in our culture, mystery and innuendo instead of news. What would Edward R. Edward R. Murrow say about this time? He would he would say it's pretty sad. Uh, so I'll have an opinion on that and other things. But anyway, Guar. So gay women against rape. Somebody came up with that, yelled that in the audience. Is that what that was, Diana? Yes. I think that was from their first movie. Somebody had yelled it. Gay women against Gay rape. Yeah. Okay. And then, God, what an awful racket. That's supposed to be the one that's more legit. So really, and and if you've ever seen Guar, it is an awful racket. Mixed in some extraordinary theatrics and some really good players. Here's here's my this is my best Guar story. Well, I have two. One's intimate, and the other's is kind of connected to it. In, uh, I guess it was 90, ooh, 92 or 93, I was, I was the moderator of the Concrete Convention Artist Panel, the that heavy metal convention that, they, that my friend Bob Chaparty put on every year in uh, either New York City or Los Angeles. This, this particular convention was in L.A., I think it was Burbank, and I put an, a panel together. I did this like three years in a row where I had like Greg Jafria, Rick Nielsen, Flea, uh, um, Mike Tramp, a bunch of guys on a panel. This particular year, um, there was a big crowd and a lot of applause, funny stories were told. And at the end, in a big room, a convention room at, at the, I think it was the Burbank Hilton, maybe, and um, the room's practically empty, and I'm standing on the podium with just saying goodbye to these rockers and stuff, and this, this guy is like in his early 20s, kind of sheepishly walks up the aisle wearing like blue jeans and a t-shirt, and he, he says, Lawn Friend, your Lawn Friend Rip Magazine, I just want to say I love your magazine, and, and, and I read it every month. I have a band. My name is Dave. I'm from Virginia. I go, what's your band? We're, we're, we call ourselves Guar. I said, I know who Guar is. I've heard of Guar, dude. Yeah, we have we done anything on you? Well, you did, I think, a fresh blood. I'm not sure. I was operating from memory. But he was so sweet, and I said to him, you know, Dave, I spent my summers in Richmond, Virginia, because my dad's second wife is from Richmond, so he married her in like 71 or 72, 1970 or 71. And I would go back east. My brother would sometimes go with me, but I'd, I'd, I'd see my dad in Richmond. And, and I know Richmond. I mean, I just, I had like early boners in Richmond. Like it was pre-puberty and learning about girls it was by the pool at the club. My dad, well, you can go by the club and stay by the pool, and he would, it would be cool. So like part of the seventies was visiting my father, and here's this kid from Richmond, Virginia, 
telling me that he's in like this band. He goes, we wear a lot of costumes. I go, yeah. Okay, so Guar gets like, they get kind of, this is an odd Richmond synchronicity because there is a connection between Kate Bush and Guar, which I will pull together very shortly for you. Because I'm going to talk about Kate too. I th- when did I go on it? When did I start on MTV Headbangers Ball? 1991, August 1991. Okay. So shortly after I get my spot, Guar is in, I'm in New York City and Guar is playing. And I don't remember the venue, but it was like a 600-seater. And my producer, my first producer, was Carol Donovan. He used to call her the Spry Blonde. She's adorable. She and John Kennelly were responsible for getting my friend at large spot on MTV. Later on, uh, Nancy McDonald produced my spots after the first year. But, but what I started in the beginning was Carol. So I'm like Rip Magazine, and Rip is... We're fucking killing it in, in 91. I mean, 91 was one, probably the biggest year of my career. And she, uh, I said to Carol, I go, you know, Guar's playing. She goes, I've heard about them. I go, let's go see them. I've got first row tickets. Now, I didn't tell Carol that being in the first row at Guar, you, you, you had to wear a raincoat. So we... W- <laughs> because... They they did things on stage with fluids. They they had large prosthetics and gigantic and odorous urungus, which is the which is the character that Dave Brocky portrayed on stage. But he, that's the mask he wore, odorous urungus, just this hellish, hellish, uh, pustulized, sore covered, lumpy thing and. And of course, there was a gigantic appendage like a penis. And somewhere, like halfway into the show, my producer just gets just coated, glazed, jizzed in the first row. And I'm telling you, I looked at it, I go, Isn't this great? <laughs> Welcome to Guar, Carol. But she had a great sense of humor. And- we we had so much we had so much fun, and I didn't I didn't see Guar again for I don't know if I ever did see him again after that, but I certainly followed their progress. In two thousand and six, when I moved back to Los Angeles from Las Vegas after my first desert exile, I got a phone call from it was really odd Derek Shulman, who was a member of Gentle Giant, who became the president of. Polygram, who signed Bon Jovi and Cinderella, he called me and said, "He goes, Lon, I'm doing something with Guar. I want, I want you to write something for me for Dave Brocky. Come and have him call you." I said, "Oh, oh, sure." So Dave called me and I had a conversation with him. This was in the uh, spring of 2006, and he was just the nicest guy. And I think I said to him, "I go, you know, man, I spent a lot of time in Richmond and." There are days I remember meeting you at the concrete convention. And you're just the sweetest guy. Okay, so here's eight years later. And, you know, to quote the great John Lennon, I, I read the news today. Oh, boy. And Dave's gone. So, anyway. Yeah, a little while, uh, Mike Plumides is going to shed some more light on this because he was very close with Dave, and he knows his career arc much better than me. He has insights on Dave. He's a southern boy. He's from North Carolina.
Here's the, okay, here's the other thing. Kate Bush. In 1979, on one of my trips, 78 or 79, whenever the kick inside came out, uh, I was in Richmond, Virginia, and um, I stay up at night listening to the radio. My brother oftentimes would be listening to baseball games in the summer because in the east, when the, when the skies got quiet at night, you could pick up so many radio stations, AM radio stations. He, he would call from the other room, I got the Tigers, Cardinals, Phillies. And he's, 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 he goes, I could barely hear it, but I swear it's Texas. I go, there's no way you get Texas from, from, I don't really, Baltimore's really clear. So he'd be listening to the baseball games, and I would be listening to this radio station called WRXL in Richmond, Richmond, Virginia. And they were playing, they played Midnight, like whole album at Midnight. And this one night, I remember it, fuck, how long ago was that? Okay, I'm like 20. One, 22 years old, and this guy comes on with his FM voice. He goes, I'm going to spin an album by a British singer-songwriter. She's very young. This is her first, her, her debut. Comes out of England, and it's blowing my mind. I'm going to play it for you in its entirety. It's Her name is Kate Bush, and it's called A Kick Inside. And so... I sit there mesmerized in front of my radio for like 45, 50 minutes. What? That voice, like a bird. And the piano, Twinkling Ivories. And there's my, you know, my dad. He's a piano player, so I'm feeling piano. You know, I get the ethos of piano happening. And the whole record was just blowing my mind. And then next, you know, that, that like next day when we're up at, up at breakfast, I go, hey, Pop. Is there a record store in Richmond, like a cool record store? He goes, yep, there's one down in the fan. I go, can we go there? Sure. So my dad takes me to the record store, and I buy. Kate pushes the kick inside. And that was the day I got into her. I collected all of her vinyl for so long. Her singles. She had a bunch of B-sides. Special European editions. I had so much stuff. I had I had a Spanish pressing from this. It was packaged in Spain of the kick inside in the cellophane. I never opened it until the day before I left Arista Records in 1994. And Sarah McLaughlin was doing a, a storytellers somewhere in Culver City, some studio. She was recording Storytellers, and I had you know, gotten to know her at the label over the, from 94 to 98. No, 98. Okay, this is 98. I'm leaving the label. So 94 to 98. And I just was, you know, I was like done. I failed as an A&R guy, and I was leaving. So she's, she takes a break, and I go walk into her dressing room. and go, hey, Sarah, I'm leaving the label. Oh, Lon. I go, I got something for you. And I wrote out this card, just kind of mushy card. You were one of the shantuses of this company, one of this siren-like spirits, and I really enjoyed your presence. And I'm 
and uh, I hope wish you nothing but the best. And and I and, and and I gave it to her, and I go, "This is my um, this is my Kate Bush kick inside Spanish, never opened. I want you to have it." And she got like a tear, and then she hugged me, and then that was really sweet. And that was that. So. How do all things connect? Richmond, Dave Brocky, the late Dave Brocky. We're going to cross. We're going to guess what, Dave? We're going to help you cross over right now because we're going to play Kate Bush song that's going to send you to the other side on wings of perfect pipes. This is Lon Friend. It's Energized Lon Friend Podcast. The song's called The Big Sky because that's where Dave's flying right now. Thanks for being with me. Don't go away. Little dog in the ground Missing But I'm never going Now I'm looking at the big sky I'm looking at the big sky Now I'm looking at the big sky You never understood 
That's some story. I don't know what I did then. Just... just... Ran, I guess. All the way down the street like a crazy man. I left Amy standing there. I don't even know what happened to her after that. And I don't know Jack Harrington. I never heard of him before now. He's an illusion or something. He has to be. He's not an illusion. For some reason, he's been... Ah, he's been yanked out of here, taken away. You're letting this get to you. Didn't you hear what I said? He told me, he told me he had a feeling that maybe somebody or something made a mistake and let us get through when we shouldn't have. And maybe they'd be coming back to get us now. Maybe somebody from up there. Clegg, it doesn't make sense. And now, I've got the feeling, too. I've got this idiotic, oddball feeling. I don't know how to describe it. It's it's weird, Bill. It's just plain weird. Like, like I don't belong. I don't want it to happen, you hear me? I don't. I don't want it to happen to me, too. But I could never shoot down 
I love that hymn-like ending. Elton from Don't Shoot Me, I'm Only the Son of a Piano Player. Thank you. <coughs> um, so Diana Bird, who's sitting across from me, who always gets dedicated to bird songs, like that one. Thanks. She says she knew a guy with a bird tat with a guar, guar tattoo. Tell us about him. Yes, yeah, this was a guy I met. I think I was seventeen when I met him. He was my first boyfriend's best friend at the time. His name was Mike, and he was obsessed with guar. Like he would always go see guar, and his only tattoo that he has is a guar tattoo. And he's linked to me because his birthday is also nine eleven, as is my first boyfriend. Nine eleven, nine eleven, nine eleven. Synchronicity. Why do we turn into Energize the Lawn Friend podcast? For synchronicities. Exactly. We are teaching the world that Jung was right. There are no accidents. Everything's connected. Now, Danielle, get up to the mic and tell me your Guar story. Well, back at that Foundations Forum, I don't know if it was the same year, but it was at the Burbank Hilton. Okay, Danielle was there when I was on the dais. 93, 94, and 95. Okay, 93 probably, yeah. So I, one of the years, I don't know, It was he was in full regalia, right. the odorous Urungus, and I happened to be in the same elevator coming down from the room probably going to the bar where I could drink underage, the Burbank Hilton. It's <laughs> <Yes. laughs> probably why they stopped it after 1995. But anyway, so, um, you know, he was wearing one of his man thong things and, uh, you know, I was just captivated, captivated by his man butt in front of me and was staring down at it and he whipped his head around and he's like, what are you looking at? <laughs> and literally scared the shit out of me. Well, not literally, but. Did he say it in Cookie Monster <laughs> death voice? He said it exactly like that. <laughs> And he startled the crap out of me. <laughs> That's my only gore story. That could have ruined you for life. <laughs> he had a nice butt, though. He did? He did. So he wasn't the flattest Maximus guy, so... Yeah, and and that's another gore tragedy, right? They lost their guitar player in, uh, three years ago. On a tour bus. Uh, did you research that briefly? No, I just saw it in the news articles. Flattest Maximus? Flattest Maximus. <laughs> Man. What was his real name? Can we pay homage? <laughs> well, we'll ask Mike when he calls. He'll know. So this is a... The reason why I had Kate Bush on my mind was last week she announced that she's going to perform live for the first time in 35 years. I mean, tour. Do a, do a tour. Of course, it's only going to be in the UK, mainly in Lud London, because she never left. She never left London. She... Kate Bush stopped performing live after a 1979 performance where her lighting guy, it was a concert at the Pool Arts Center in London, and her, her lighting guy, who was like her age at the time, early 20s, died, fell and died at the gig. And it so shook Kate, it left such an ac ac acrid taste in her mouth that she just abandoned the stage. If you know anything about her career, you know that she went on to become one of the most revolutionary, groundbreaking video makers during the MTV years, leading up to the MTV years, the late 70s and into the 80s. She made many movies that were quite historic, if you're a Kate Bush fan. <clears throat> one in particular that I loved a lot was called Cloud Busting which has her as uh, and her father is being portrayed by Donald Sutherland, the actor Donald Sutherland. So Kate was a groundbreaker, and now she's performing these shows in London. And I'm thinking, oh, man, now I got an excuse to go back to London and and see, uh, see Kate. It's August and September 
she's like, I used to send her cards on her birthday because her birthday was like July 30th and mine's July 29th. And she's like a, 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 year, a year or two younger than me. And I would, I would uh, communicate with her that way. But, and I did meet her in 92 when the sensual world record was, was released. She's had a, a death, deathly fear of flying. Still does probably. You never get over that. Even Erica John didn't get over her fear of flying. Mike Plumides. Welcome. I'm, 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 I'm excited to be on your show, Lon. How are you? Mike, it's a sad day when you lose a friend, when you lose, you know, a, a performer who has fans all over the world. It's, it's, a, it's a sad thing. But when you have a personal friend who, who departs for whatever reason, it's a sad day. So I want to send my condolences on the departure of Dave Brocky. Well, I think, I think, um, the guy that plays Sleazy P. Martini in the um, in the whole Guar outfit, uh, he he said it best. Uh, what he he posted today, he said, "Let me find it here so I can read it verbatim." Okay. Um, Don Draculich is his name, and he said it best. If there's any solace in this, it is that there was little suffering. He went out on a high note in his career. And he will never know the feeling of just fading away. He went out like a rock star. He belongs to the ages now. My biggest regret is not getting a chance to say goodbye. Mm. Okay, then I guess that's a good jumping off point here, um, Mike. How, how do you, how did you meet Dave? When did you meet Dave? And how do you feel about not being able to say goodbye? Well, I'll give you a little background. I um, I was in college radio at the time. It was about 1987, and I was I was in my starting my about to start my last semester at University of South Carolina, and uh, I was at WSCFM, and and we had Guar's first album, which was Hello. Uh, really, really the only song I really liked on the album was a song called American Eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I was introduced to the band through a a, a girl that I'd, I'd known all my life. I went to Virginia Commonwealth. Her name was Emily Udell. And Emily used to say, she said, Mike, you need to check out Guar and Death Piggy. They're Richmond, really big in Richmond, et cetera, you know. Yep. So I didn't really, uh, you know, get into rock promotion probably until, I mean, I, I was in college radio and promote, I, I, was, I was actually the uh, promotions uh, director at the radio station, but Guar, I don't think, had played in Columbia by this time. Mm-hmm. Had never made it down to Columbia, South Carolina. But when I opened the club, um, uh, you know, I kind of, I, I was seeing that Scum Dogs of the Universe was going to be released, and so I wanted I wanted Guar to play there. And my club was called 4808 Club. We did some legendary shows with Soundgarden and the Bad Brains, Corrosion of Conformity. Uh, you know, oh. Bang Tango, yep, you know, the, yep. the Junkyard, okay. uh, all, all of that stuff at the, uh, and, and you know, you know we've, we've discussed this, but uh, just the, for the for your listeners, uh, and uh, we did the slews of punk rock and heavy metal shows, you know, bands like Firehouse got their, you know, got signed out of my club, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to do a Gore show. We actually did them the first time uh, at the location that was shut down after the L.A. Gun show, for fire kit violations. Uh, but we did the first show without incident. And so when I wanted to bring them back, well, maybe and so I should stop there. So uh, I, I had met the band at this time. Uh, and um, at the time, I had not really 
had an opportunity to speak with the band because they were when they show up or when they showed up then they were so consumed in in getting you know everything set up that mm-hmm. it, it, it was kind of uh it was almost unnerving and and when when you have a guar show you got to cover everything in plastic because otherwise <laughs> all the all of the, the equipment all gets soaked in blood and fake jizz and you know and all of that <laughs> yes. so after in April of 1990, I had to shut that location down, and I opened a new location uh, two blocks over on Fifth Street, and I spent my last nickel getting this place open. And uh, I've done done a number of shows uh, there with some some bands. We did we we did a social distortion show. We did a uh, we, I don't know if you remember Scatterbrain, and sure. we did I think Nuclear Assault, and we did sure. some. A carcass, and um, we did Morbid Angel, mm-hmm. but all of these shows as Circus of Power, mm-hmm. but all of these shows since I had moved from one location to the other, they were they, they were you know kind of minimal uh, audiences, right? Uh, and it was getting frustrating, and I was running out of money, and uh, then I got in a battle over this Guar show, which I thought since I had brought them to town, I was going to have no problem, but at the time they they signed with Triad Artists. And I can't remember if that at that time William Morris had bought Triad yet or not. Yes. Uh, but uh, I ended up um, getting a kind of like in a war, a bidding war with with a rival club owner. Right. And uh, I, the the uh, agent insisted on doing an all ages show. Mm-hmm. Said that I would get the show if I did it all ages. And what'd you do? And I agreed. Okay, so tell me about the show. So it was a Tuesday night, and it was it was it was it was it was sultry, it right. was sticky, it was hot. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't have any air conditioning. It was an old warehouse. You know these these clubs that used to pop up in L.A. You know, with a, just a warehouse. You know, for 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 a weekend, and then it moved to somewhere else. So it's hot and humid time of the year and they're in these enormous costumes latex plastic leather they must yeah. be 120 degrees inside these costumes so they must well, not be in the greatest mood that we're going to address uh, in a little while but yeah very very hot and sweaty they, they, their original costumes were made out of paper mache if you can imagine <laughs> <laughs> those didn't they didn't work so well and then they kind of started uh, you know playing with the uh, with the latex Mm-hmm. Uh, rubber mm-hmm. and uh, so these were among the first costumes they had with latex rubber. Mm-hmm. So they're supporting Scum Dogs of the Universe. There was a crowd of maybe 350, 400 people there. All and the uh, I was operating on a temporary alcohol permit because uh, you know when I got shut down the first place they were they were so up my ass you know with a magnifying glass mm-hmm. and I had to have everything I even had to, I put a wheelchair elevator in this location okay. to appease the, uh, the the fire fire marshals and the, uh, the the building standards okay and anyway so so uh, the show you know goes on and and the thing is 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 between the crowd, between the door money, between the bar, between everything that was going on, and just you know, it was just right. basically just mayhem. Uh, I I really didn't see a lot of the show. Mm-hmm. I mean, I saw some of it, but what had happened early on was a couple of older guys in mustaches. You know, mustaches always give cops away. Right. You know, but these guys came in. They had mustaches, and I was looking at them. So they're a little bit old, and they had big cameras around their 
their necks. Okay. And I was kind of going, look, maybe they're Al Super fans or something. You know what I'm saying? Maybe they're just like older guys that come in to check it out. <clears throat> right. And we had been in the Creative Loafing, which is the alternative news weekly, we were voted as the uh, yeah, Fred's gig of the week. Fred Mills was the uh, was the was the editor of Creative Loafing at the time, and he described the show as uh, said something. If you recall Guar's last area performance, the nine foot penises spewed and the slaves drank. <laughs> How colorful! <laughs> now I know if I'd have read that. I had to be at the next show. If I was any, if I was under 20, 21, I had to be at that next show. So I'm just going to assume you had a successful night. I, what I'd really like to know is, did you did you get to talk to Dave, and did you ever did you get to know him, or did it take a, a years, or did you establish a relationship not, later? Not before, not before we spent the night in jail together. No. <laughs> okay, then I guess we better get to that tale. So, uh, so the vice. So it turned out that the guys with the cameras were from Vice Squad, and uh, you know, me, me being the glutton for punishment idiot that I was, I moved right next door to the James K. Polk Building, which housed the alcohol law enforcement on the ninth floor. <laughs> so they were all gearing up, you know, to come over and kick my ass up around my shoulder blades. You know, and shut me down. And, uh, you know, here, you know, and I was also, they, they supposedly they read that description in the creative loafing, but, uh, but this, but also supposedly the rival club owner after he didn't get the show. Yeah, vengeance. He, want, he, mm -hmm. he had, uh, you know, you know, contacted them mm -hmm. and, uh, said, yeah. hey, you might want to, you know, go and look, check this out. It might, you know, violate obscenity statutes or what have you. So the band plays. And uh, at some time in the in in the show, there was a a costume priest that comes out, and they jerk the priest's pants down, and he has a really big swollen ass. <laughs> yes. And Dave then pulls out a giant crucifix, and they jam it down into the uh, rectum. Of the fake priest's ass. How's this going over in the South? Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's kind of like, you know, like 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 when you're digging a post, you know, that's kind of the, the action that they're doing, you know, okay. with the crucifix. All right. You know, kind of, yeah. And uh, and then I think uh, then, then, then they proceeded to, I guess, simulate some kind of anal sex with the priest, and then the then the cuttlefish of Cthulhu sprays uh, his love all over the crowd. Now, I didn't like I said I didn't see this going on at the time. Um, I was I was pretty busy. Okay, but but uh, at the closing of the night, right? Do they finish their encore? I'm saying, you know, because I'm just the whole night, I'm going, God, can this just be over? <laughs> right. Can it just be done? This was, the show. this was the show that was supposed to bail me out, Lon. Right. I, I, had, I, had, I was hiding my Cherokee in the weeds so that they wouldn't come and repossess it. Okay? Yeah. But they found it anyway. All right? I had, to, I had to, you know, I mean, I was broke. Right. And uh, living off of receipts. And this was the show that was going <clears> to <throat> bail me out. Okay. So anyway, 
So, uh, so I get a, you know, a beat on a, a beat on the on the door of the office as I'm counting the door money. Right. And uh, and I had my gun, you know, and we wore guns. We were in such the worst area of town. Now <laughs> it's like it's high rise condos. It's not the building's not even there anymore. Right. But but uh, <clears throat> it's sketchy that back then. Yeah. Okay. So so uh, so. I put my gun there on the on the table. I can't remember what it is, and then I went and opened the door because I don't want some cops to be waving, you know, wearing my shoulder holster with the gun. And uh, I opened the door, and it's Daniel Sellers, the the uh, chief alcohol detective, uh, chief alcohol <laughs> law enforcement. And I think it was, before I opened the door, you know, I said, "Who is it?" And he said, "Officer Friendly." <laughs> I said, who? And he said, it's Sellers, you son of a bitch. Open this goddamn door right now. <laughs> so I opened the door, and there was Daniel Sellers. And uh, he proceeded. He came into the office, and he was looking around. I don't know what they were looking for. See if they were looking for drugs or whatever. And uh, so after they said, I said, well, what, what, what did I do? And he said, uh, he said, uh, well, you in a world of shit now, boy. <laughs> now take us back there and. Point out which one is one of them is the lead singer and that priest he was a fucking in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> so, but no, and by, and by this time I look out the wind, I look out the door, and there is cops in riot gear. Oh shit! I mean, there's oh. cops in riot gear. <laughs> There's people being beaten with flashlights, people running is mayhem, they're running in all different directions. Oh good. And uh and I remember one that one of the cops had grabbed like one of the teenagers from the crowd. Mm. It was he was caked in blood, you know, he had blood all over his white t shirt, you know, mm. and whatever and and uh and this they're saying, This this the one you're looking for, Mr. Sell? Yeah, you know, they just wanted to find one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they just need to find one kid mm -hmm. that was underage mm -hmm. in the crowd so my door my my i had two doors to it the second door went into the dressing room mm -hmm. so i opened the door they put me in handcuffs and you know we'll open the door and seller walks in sellers walks in there and he goes which one of y'all is the lead singer <laughs> and a brocky had taken off his mask mm -hmm. and his shoulder pads and mm -hmm. he still had the cuttlefish of Cthulhu and his fishnet stockings and the big monster feet and he turns around and he goes I'm the lead slave <laughs> to, the, to the police and so he says well boy you're under arrest you need, you need to come on with us he says you, you mind if I get some shoes my clothes on first <laughs> He says, yeah, you go ahead now, uh, but hurry it up. And so Brocky turned around and aims his ass cheeks as he's taking the shoes off, because he's wearing a tea bag, and his ass cheeks with a big bloody handprint on, on one ass cheek. And he leans over, and he shows shows his ass to the to the cops as he's taking the feet off. And the cops uh, and seller says, I could have gone all night without seeing that. <laughs> So as they're as they're leading us out, both in handcuffs, and Brocky still got his like black, you know, grease paint around his eyes. He's right. wearing a, a, a hoodie. He's wearing a zip up hoodie and some pants and some shoes. I don't think he even had socks. And uh, we're walking out, and they're they're they've, they've confiscated 
oh, I forgot. He says, 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 uh, says uh, one of y'all points to one of the cops, go, go over there and get that uh, penis or dildo or whatever it is. <laughs> and he, Brocky goes, he goes, it's the cuttlefish. He says, shut up, boy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then he says, shut up, boy. And it's, and it's still dripping. It's still dripping with the goo and everything, you know. Oh my god, this is so great! Pick it up, and the goo's still dripping. <laughs> Did you go to jail? Yes. They put you in the cell. The jail part. So, 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 uh, Kyle <laughs> says, "What you want us to put this thing in?" <laughs> and so, my when when we got one of my guys that brought an old rusty mop pail, <laughs> and they dropped it with a clunk and squish into the mop pail, and so they lead us out of the building. And we get out there, and there's easily, I don't know, two columns of police cars <laughs> and a helicopter overhead shining a light down on, on the mayhem that is ensuing. it. And people are chanting and saying, let him go. And they arrest some more people. Attica, Attica. Yeah, do you remember a band called Buzz Oven? Remember Buzz Oven? They were on Roadrunner. Well, they arrested the lead singer Buzz Oven for inciting a riot and arrested somebody else in the crowd or whatever. Okay. And uh, they were pushing up against the police cars and they put us in. And so they put me and Dave in the car. And uh, the car, the cop's name, I think, was Officer Hurd, J.D. Hurd, I think his name was. Mm -hmm. And so Brocky was, wanted to know what the charges were. Mm -hmm. and he goes, What are the charges? <laughs> And he goes, so he reached into his pat pocket and he pulls out one of those little mead pad, you know, little scratch pads, you know, that you get. And he says, right. well, you've been charged with disseminating obscenity, which is a felony in North Carolina, uh, for, more specifically for simulating ejaculation with a two and a half foot latex penis, <laughs> simulating sodomy and eating feces. And w without blinking. David Brocky replies, you mean you can't do that in North Carolina? <laughs> so they took us off to jail. So, so, so Sheriff Taylor from Mayberry takes you where? So we went to the Charlotte-Mecklenburg you know, County Jail, which was probably about, you know, I don't know, a mile. Right. A mile. And they put us in a... <laughs> it had to be about an eight by ten holding cell with a big metal door. It didn't have any didn't have any bars, you know, and they didn't give us a tin cup, you know, to scrape across the bar. Right. You know, so we could get some, it was just a big metal door with a glass window. Right. So we're sitting in there and then they brought a couple other people in there. So they're basically putting it, all of the you know, anybody that they had picked up and it was just a handful of people. Right. right. And uh, they put us in there and then they bring in this vagrant. <laughs> Vagrant. He was defecated down his pants. <laughs> for, for real, not not yeah, artificial. For real, this is an absolute truth. <laughs> and so, so Dave and I are sitting there, and actually, you know, we kind of talked. That's been really the first conversation that he and I really had. <laughs> was I was sitting there and I was looking at the back of his head, 
And it looked like Dave had been like kicked in the, you know, because this happens if you're a, I mean, Dave was a hardcore punk rocker back right. in the day, a right. DC punk rocker. Right. And he got the shit kicked out of him a few times. And, and you could see the battle scars from the back of his head would be kicked in the head. Mm-hmm. And he had some scars. And at the time, he had a crew cut. Mm-hmm. And so we just were kind of making, you know, some small talk, you know, there just to pass the time. Then they brought in the Vagrant, mm-hmm. you know, with the, with, with his, uh, you know, who had defecated down his pants, like, and he's sitting there, and it's all in his pants, and it's dripping down his shoe. <laughs> and, and so, so, Dave, you know, we've all got, Dave's got his hoodie, you know, pulled up over his nose, and got, the, got it pulled down, and, and so I asked the guy, I said, what happened to you? He said, man. We were down there on the railroad track drinking, and them cops came up and started chasing us, man. He put his nice stick in my stomach and made my bowels move. <laughs> I mean, it was such a blatant violation of human rights. Oh my God. You make somebody sit there in their own shit, you know? I mean, it, and, 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 and they thought it was so funny that one of the guys came in from the sheriff's department with some Lysol, and he had a towel over his nose, and he was spraying it, and he was laughing through the towel as he was spraying Lysol in the room, and then he went back and shut the door again. They thought it was hilarious. Then another one of the police, then they opened the door. Yeah. And they called. They got me and David out to to get our get our stories. They right. wanted to ask us some questions. Right. So they you know take you out and they handcuff you to a to a chair and right. then they ask you a series of questions. And one of the police officers has the cuttlefish of Cthulhu and he he puts it up on his on his groin area and he's running up and down the hall laughing hysterically. <laughs> You know, I mean, this is like, it was just, it was such it was all such a big joke. They thought it was hilarious, right? You know, and so that's basically the first time that Dave and I ever had any. <laughs> <laughs> was that a bonding experience? Did you stay in, in the, touch? In the jail. Yeah, it was. It was. A, I mean, well, I wrote a piece on my uh, actually for Blurt magazine, and then I put it on my blog. I, I don't know if it's Blurt had a uh, had a malware attack, and uh, four years of my work got wiped away like well, the, well, the hand of God. So luckily, I'd saved. Most of it to my blog. My blog is entitled uh, "It's uh, Michael Plumley's WordPress." Michael Plumley's WordPress dot com, but uh, it's also called "The Decline of Southern Civilization." Uh, <laughs> that's what the title of the blog is. Uh, and I've, basically, all all of those those stories are are chronicled. <clears throat> Mike, there. when was the last time you when was the last time you talked to Dave? Dave and I mostly texted. Right. Um, I knew he was going to Australia. We texted sometime before he went to Australia, but he was he was he was traveling so much at the time. I mean, I'd hit him up occasionally, but I, usually, you know, he, he'll get in touch with me when it's time or when he's coming through town. Right. But they were coming through town actually last uh, October for the Halloween show, and I was really excited because we were going to shoot a, do do an interview. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I always you know kind of keep my name out there and you know kind of like how we're we're kind of I, I call it uh, my symbiotic relationship with Guar mm-hmm. so I always try to stay in touch with them and uh, we were in he and I were in Bonnaroo together uh, in mm-hmm. 2010 mm-hmm. 2009 we I did a book signing at a Guar show at the Masquerade Club in Atlanta 2010 we did Bonnaroo was that for your uh, Kill the Music book. 
Kill the Music. Yeah. It's a good book, Mike. I the highly recommend of a college radio, the chronicle of a college radio idealist's <laughs> rock and roll rebellion in an era of tr- intrusive morality and censorship. I can't even remember my own tagline. <laughs> I wrote it. <clears throat> but, but yeah, that's it. You know, it, as, as, as far as, I, I don't think this is a suicide. Dave, I think, was too driven right. for that sort of thing. How do you, why, how, was he sick? Do you, did you hear that he maybe he had something that, creeped up and took him out? Do you know why he died, how he died? Well, you mentioned the costumes and how hot. Yeah. How hot those costumes I think there's a are. trauma from wearing all that stuff for 30-some-odd years, 29, 30? The last time that I saw Dave, I mean, that I, that I actually saw him in person, mm-hmm. uh, I, as, uh, I went to meet him over at, he played at Amos's here in Charlotte. It's a really big venue. Mm-hmm. Um and, and they got good air conditioning, unlike mm-hmm. my place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Dave, he hugged me, and he said, said how, how how proud he was of me. That I really, how I really got my name out there. Because I, and the thing is, is I've failed the bar like five times. And decided I didn't want it to let, let it ruin my life anymore. So I was just going to do what I wanted to do. So that's when, you know, from the time you know, shortly after. I mean, you met me when 2009, I guess. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I'd written my first book. It was my fledgling book. It had some errors in it because I set a deadline for a for a release party and ordered too many <laughs> ordered too many books. Yeah. You know, and but but um, <clears throat> yeah. But anyway, uh, so I set a deadline and it started, so I had its its uh, its fair share of mistakes. But uh, but the second edition, you know, got was cleaned up. You know, did you give? But did you were able to give him a copy of your book? Did, did you give that? him? Did you give Dave a copy of your book? I gave everybody. Everybody had. I gave everyone in the band. <clears throat> okay. All right. So what do you want? What do you want to say? What's what's the legacy? Because first of all, it's a remarkable story, and thank you for the rich, rich description. <laughs> One of the best anecdotes of a night gone south in a southern club I've ever heard. Well, <laughs> and I think you, I think it regales Dave, yeah. and it shows his extraordinary sense of humor, and that kind of tempered madness. He like he knew what was going on all the well, time. You know, you know, uh, you know, the Alice in Wonderland was all about what happened in Charlotte. The video, the the sixty minute um, video movie that they did that, that was nominated for a Grammy, that was all about Charlotte. It was all about what happened at the forty eight oh eight club. Even down to the uh the the judge, I forgot to tell you, the judge's name was Richard Boner. Boner. True story. <laughs> and uh they, Dick Boner. You know, come on. I mean how Dick how, Boner. <laughs> I mean how how do you make how, this shit up? If fate would have it <laughs> the judge's name was Dick Boner. Oh, it's beautiful, man. And I remember I was in the you know, and we were in the when we were I mean it goes on we were in the courtroom. I mean, the funny thing about Dave is, is we we were tr- we were actually you know separately. He had a, a different attorney. I had a different attorney, and actually they dropped the felony charges uh, because they you know it was so embarrassing to the police department. Mm-hmm. They dropped the felony charges, but but I they did make I did have to plead in order for them to dismiss the thing or or what have you. I had to do 120 hours of community service, and uh, Dave. Dave ended up being, and I did that, but Dave ended up being banned for, uh, Guar was banned from North Carolina for a year. <laughs> Small uh, price. Small on price. On the way out, uh, they asked Dave what he thought, and he said, Yeah, well, I think Judge Boner handed down a pretty stiff decision. 
<laughs> you got the last word, man. Yeah. Well, but back to the costume thing. <laughs> uh, I, I really think that, and I asked Dave this last time that I saw him, I said, because it's, it, it has such a really strong chemical smell. Okay. Um, if you've ever been, been interviewed them or what have you, the, 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 there has to be breathing that stuff. I mean, it's got to be carcinogenic somehow or mm. somehow poisonous. Mm. And if you're wearing that stuff on your skin mm. for 30 years, mm. I mean, that has to have some kind of effect. Yeah, on that's that. speculation. And how, how did how did the guitar player die two three years ago? Well, that's what I'm saying. How does that happen? And, and they and it was they, it turned out that there wasn't it wasn't drugs that he had. He had a heart murmur, right. but I mean, you know, then Dave all of a sudden is going to drop dead too, I, I, you know. But that's that may be spe- speculation. I, I don't think, he, like I said, I don't think he killed himself. Mm. I don't think I don't think it was drugs unless it was maybe a sleeping pill, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. It might have been sleep apnea. Mm. You know, there's a lot of people, some people that die in the middle of the night. He, he was sitting in a chair, right, when they found it. Sitting in a I, chair. I don't, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> sitting in a chair watching South that, Park. I hope. Hope he went out with a smile on his face. Anyway, Mike, you're awesome. Thanks so much. Is that it? We out of time? You killed it, man. You killed okay. it. What are you working on right now? <clears throat> well, uh, Morgan Creek, I wrote the first three episodes of uh, the Nightbreed uh, television series. Oh, very good. Um, now, is this, are this, we're still live, right? Yep. Uh, yeah, well, okay. Uh, all right, I'm working on that. Uh, Ghost Track, I'm still still waiting on some financing for my Ghost Track feature. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and I'm trying to get the Kill the Music film made. Uh, and now, you know, it takes somebody to die for people to get interested all of a sudden. Yeah, that's the way of uh, pop culture. Yeah, it is. And finance. Yeah. Well, I wish you the best on all your yeah. projects, man. It's awesome talking to you again. Even under this, you brought humor to the legacy of Dave Brockie, and I think that you did him right because the yogis say we are nothing but the memory we leave behind. Well, in, in, in one lasting thought, I think of all of the, the, the rock and roll people that I've met over, over the course of my life, Dave was probably, the, if not the, I mean, was among the most wittiest, I mean, just quick-witted, mm-hmm. Uh, intelligent. Uh, I mean, he had historical knowledge. He, yeah. he wasn't. He wasn't just some yo-yo guy. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? He yeah. was. He wasn't some hair-flipping musician. Mm. He was really, really an artist in the true sense. And and I, I often <laughs> wondered why he kind of stuck with doing the guar thing. Mm. You know, um, although he had some side projects and that sort of thing. Mm. But he, uh, you know, he he did what he loved and he did it well. And uh, and he really, he will be sorely missed. And it's just, uh, I cried today for him. I'll probably cry some more by the weeks out. So I will be at the funeral. But it's just, uh, I mean, rock and roll. Dave embodied punk rock, rock and roll, heavy metal. He was, he was the, he was just the, 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 the antithesis of, of government, you know, in the establishment. Right. He, he hated all of that stuff. Right. But, but I mean, and, and, and I just see these comments of people on Yahoo and whatever that don't really understand it or didn't. All they see is the, the growth, the, right. the gross factor. 
but that's not what's all. I think the fans get it, and they're going to miss him a lot. And you did his you you honored him tonight, Mike. Thanks so much, Mike Plumides. Read his blog, find him online, and have me back on. We'll we'll, uh, hopefully under uh, under better circumstances. Thanks a lot, buddy. Take care. We're gonna listen to some Guar now, man. Take care, man. Carry on my wayward son. Grab a piece when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry no more.
And I'm a runner But you knew that When you laid down I'm a picture of Ugly stories I'm a killer and I'm a clown Great, 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 great Alice Cooper from probably my favorite Alice Cooper record killer, uh, Desperado, which is kind of what I feel like I am sometimes, especially here on the airwaves, here in San Pedro, wearing my big cowboy hat and my boots and spurs. No, I don't have any of that shit. I have <laughs> fucking vans on. <clears throat> Lon Friend, Energize, Lon Friend Podcast. This is show 51. Next week's show, 52, one-year anniversary. And I think I'm going to have a great rock drummer from a great band coming in studio next week to celebrate the anniversary with me. And uh, I'll just have to look at my Facebook page to see who it is. But it'll be cool. We're going to have a celebration. Celebration for one year. 
And I guess I should, like, thank people now, especially, you know, the handful of you out there who've been following me. I really appreciate it. It's been kind of like an organic thing. It's like seeds were planted and they were watered, but because there's a drought, there wasn't enough water to water them. We were only allowed to water two days a week instead of seven. <laughs> so it really didn't grow into something like huge. But there are a few of you out there, man. Keep us going. Um, had some, you know, great shows over the last year. Had some hard shows, like, you know, when my mom passed last August. Um, it kind of brought my, you know, brought my weight, carried my weight into the studio, and this studio helped me get through. Thank you, Mike Stark, for hosting, being, being the man behind the glass the last year. Whew. God, Mike Plumides, thank you for that just rapturous retelling of the Guar tale, full of liquid and color and I could that's the kind of interview I've not, I've done a few interviews in my career where you could smell the interview that one smelled that was that that had that had aroma to it boy that was amazing so yeah like I said next week I'm gonna have a rock star in the studio it'll be my 52nd show and after that, I don't know. We'll, just, we'll see what happens. Uh, Diana, do you have anything you want to say? Happy almost one year. Oh, I got to send like huge love out to my daughter who turns 24 today. She was born March 24th, 1990. She was born at 7, a little, a tick, like 6.59 a.m., my 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 then wife Joyce water broke at one AM. It was like a pop. And then I'm you know, I'm asleep and I, I get up and she's not in the bed. I go, What's going on? I popped. I go, what what are you talking? Water, let's go. What? And I'm like uh, asleep. What? Let's go get the bag. I'm like Don Knotts. Well we got edge, where are we going? Get my pistol. <laughs> we were living in Culver City. It was a 15-minute drive at high speed to the uh, Mount Sinai Hospital. And uh, I had my tape. I had my, like, boom box, and I had two cassettes. I had the Cocteau Twins and Enya. I had the, uh, I had the um, Watermark record, and I was going to play those. So we go in and, and they you know they put Joyce in the chair and we we go in and they, they go into this room and they put her up and and it's like the the pushing starts and it's like hurt and <clears throat> and they say would you like an epidural yes yes and then she gets the epidural and I swear four out maybe four or five hours and then Megan just slid and I will never forget that this like. Is his head, this huge, perfect, shiny, crimson-colored head just comes out, and then the rest of her comes out, and Doc slaps her, and 
she's just and we and it was a female doctor paula donda was her name she was she's this gorgeous woman that just pulled megan out of the womb and and her eyes were like boom wide open Woo! hello world my name is megan rose friend my dad is the editor of rip magazine would you get the fucking Enya off and put on some GNR? <laughs> no, she did. She didn't say that. Uh, Megan listens to Enya now to meditate. She puts it on in her office and helps her soothe her. I think probably from the womb. Anyway, and then uh, that was it. And, and and I cut the cord. You know, I took the th- snip. I can remember like the feeling, what it felt like to put that the the, the blade over it. Snip, dink. Oh, wow! You're on your own now, kid. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Now it's our responsibility for the next eighteen years, and then after that, for the rest of our lives, just to love you and accept you and support you. She is nothing but joy to me every waking day. And she's with her. She's with her. Her dude, Aaron, right now. He he's having a bee pollen thing. It's it's kind of sick. So we're sending Aaron some love. Talented guitar player he is. This is this is Lon Friend. This is my podcast, and I think I think I'm starting to ramble. So I might as well get out of here with some Midnight Rambler. How's that sound? <laughs> Take it away, Mike Stark. I'll see you guys next week. Lots of love, man. It's from my favorite Stones record, Let It Bleed. Yeah. Let it bleed, odorous urungus.
Midnight. 